1: Thank you JJ for that wonderful introduction and I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. The list is growing weekly. They're coming from United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Norway, Germany, India, Israel, Australia, France, Denmark, Spain, Sweden, South Africa, Rwanda, Senegal, Ireland, Burundi, Hong Kong, Malaysia, And this is just to name a few. We thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this unique show of never, ever giving up hope. No matter what happens in our lives, the stories of these people who I have interviewed are phenomenal. And today is another one that you are going to thoroughly enjoy. So I appreciate your comments. I appreciate your reviews. It is what has made this show a success and will continue. Thank you. Today with me is Jackie Perry. She is addicted to travel, adventure, and writing. Quite a scope. Jackie doesn't sit still for very long. She has sailed around the world. You ready for this? One and a half times. And on the Complete opposite end of that spectrum. She has also trekked in the bush with five rescued horses for several months. She is an author of two books, which she is going to share today. She is a professional maritime captain and teacher, but her life was an adventure of a different type before it became an adventure of fun she suffered an emotionally brutal bereavement when she lost her fiance at 26 years old what did she do she ran away and this is where her story starts and it is quite the story welcome jackie
2: wow thank you carol i uh sometimes don't think when people talk about what i've done it's it's actually me but um thank you for that lovely introduction and it's a real pleasure to be here, and I, I must just slip in, if I may, that I've listened to some of your interviews, and they are incredible, so inspirational and heartwarming, and I, I really urge anyone that's listening now to um, take a look at some others, or, or listen, should I say, because they're they're wonderful.
1: Thank you. That's great. These are the kind of reviews we're looking for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start before your story starts. Let's start before your engagement and what you wanted out of life, what your goals were, what you were doing um, before there was the radical change?
2: Mm. Oh, I was a very different person. The, um, the world for me was the corporate world. I actually had a wonderful job. Um, I was an events organizer for a large mobile phone company in the UK and I did a lot of travel, um, had a lot of responsibility with how I spent vast amounts of money. And it was a great job. And that was where I was heading, just keep climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, maybe obviously get married, but maybe have a family. I, I'm not sure. Um, and that, that really where I was, I'd wear the best clothes, had a new car, a fine apartment, um, very different to where I am now.
1: And what happened with your fiancé?
2: Um, he was, we were both 26, he was a very handsome man, and quite, um, he liked to look good, and he had a bit of acne on his back, and he just went to the doctors to get it treated, get, get rid of it, and they ran some tests, and he... He received a phone call one day and said, your results are in. You must come to the doctors right now. And that day they took him in, put a Hickman line in his chest. So the chemotherapy went straight into his vital organs. Uh, He had leukemia. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just fit, healthy, handsome, everything in front of him to just, you know, as you can imagine, heartbreaking, with the news of, well, you have 50% chance and we'll have to see how you go. And? they Well, to try and keep it brief, um, he went through six months of um, chemotherapy, mostly living in that hospital all the time, and I actually lived with him. I slept in a chair every night with him and left to go to work, um, left the hospital each morning and returned straight back to him. Mm. He was rarely at home. He had a couple of weeks here and there at home within those six weeks. At the end of it, he was in remission. And as we all probably know, because it, it, this touches everyone, unfortunately, yes. at some point. Yes. yeah. Uh, remission doesn't mean it's gone. It means it's, I guess, under control. I don't know what the official medical mm-hmm. term is. And so we booked... A holiday, three months in America. My work let me go, um, unpaid leave, and he could obviously go. And we had a a spectacular time, a cruise within that, and just enjoyed ourselves. But on the night we were flying home, he got a backache, and I can really remember him. We mm, We were sitting down to dinner, and he was just crying into his dinner because, well, he knew, and his reaction told me, and we got on the plane and it was an eight-hour flight back to the UK. And the, the, the stewards were wonderful, you know, but they said, you've got to make a decision. You've got to tell us you can make this flight because he was clearly in pain. And other passengers were coming up and offering him different pills to try oh. and make him feel better. It was It was amusing, a part of it. But we got home the very next day. He went to hospital with his backache, and the doctor was very quiet and didn't say much. But then the day after that, he had his doctors who were looking after him for his cancer. And I'd gone back to work that day, and I had a promotion, actually. I'd just been promoted, so it was exciting. And they took a blood test and said, do you have two weeks to live?
1: Oh, my word.
2: Mm. and he rang me up and said that and of course you know you just what do you do you yeah you know, he i arrived at the hospital and he just said we, we were engaged already at this point and he just said marry me before i die Aww. Mm. so that's all he thought about was me so it's just incredible But sadly, I think it was just a matter of days, two, three days. He just lost the battle and in his home, in our home, he slipped away from us one night and we didn't get to have the ceremony. He just couldn't do it. He just couldn't pull it off. Um, And then my life changed, obviously. I was shattered. I mean, everyone has, has to suffer a bereavement in their lives. It's the dreadful part of living but um i i ran i i was with a counselor but i went home to martins and my home every night and i just couldn't the the knot of sadness within my stomach was such a physical pain i just felt like i had to run from it and i and i did i had family in australia and uh i've been talking a lot so i'll try and brief it down i just no,
1: that's fine. That's fine. Uh, there was a couple things I was going to ask you, mm, but, but you're, you're covering them. So um, okay. go on. Basically, I was going to talk to you about that time of um, right when he did die, like the emotional state that you were in, which you already mm. shared. But also, um, did you go through the stages of grief that most people do go through, like anger and denial as well? And yes. how did you cope with that? How did you deal with that were you Did you have strength to draw from from past experiences, or was this all new territory
2: Oh a bit of both. I hadn't suffered such powerful emotions. I'd never been in love this way before, and then having that taken, it was so powerful uh, my background is is or my being I'm very tenacious I won't give up on anything almost a pig-headed level I I'll fight anything but but then it was all new as well because it was so powerful and so confusing I had a ring on my finger and I still wanted to get married oh. that made no sense mm. you know I, I wanted to get married but the, I just remember the physical lump hard lump in my stomach that just hurt and the strange thing is I, I within a matter of weeks I was in Australia because I, that felt like the only thing I could do was run. My counsellor said I mustn't do but I did. I had family in Australia and really bizarrely and some people don't like this, I met Noel and my husband now of nearly 18 years and he he took me through my grieving process. He had just finished a, or was coming out of a long-term relationship. So he was quite lost. I was certainly very lost. And we just got together and um, six months later we got married, believe it or not.
1: Let's stop for a second and back up a little bit where you said sure. that people don't didn't necessarily like that. And I can understand um I can understand what you're saying, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand why, because it's nobody's business, (laughs) (laughs) but nonetheless, let's talk about that. How did you deal with that negativity that was coming at you?
2: Oh, with pig-headedness, I've, (laughs) yeah, it's just, um, mind your own business, (laughs) mind your own business, and you have no idea what I've been through, you know, whether you've suffered horrible times or not this is my personal time and this is my survival and i was very confused there was this man who i was attracted to who's 16 years older than me uh who i thought this is ridiculous you know I'm, i'm grieving and both noel and i agreed we might be both on the rebound it might be all wrong but we both said well it feels okay. Let's see where it takes us. And so we did get married. My wonderful family, with no notice at all, flew out to Australia, and um, we wrote our vows, and then life changed dramatically, but <laughs> we did we had a, we started our wonderful adventure, but the first few years of that Noel carried me and witnessed and got me through. My grieving, which is a remarkable thing to do yes, it for is. someone yes. that you've just married and they're grieving their fiance, that's a little bit weird. Weird, yes. <laughs> I think a better word, but you're right, it's weird. But he did that for me, and and so we have a very deep and loyal relationship, and he is, you know, my best friend. He's my everything. He's he's. He carried me through that terrible time.
1: He was the perfect person in the perfect place at the perfect time.
2: It, that's exactly it. And we proved it can work. You know, six months isn't very long to know someone, but we went, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. It feels exactly right. Yes. And in, well, we met in January. So the coming January, we would have known each other 18 years and next June, married 18 years. So. I'm proud of that. I like being married, and I like working at it, and I, I like the marriage institution. It works for me. Did you
1: get a lot of grief from your family, or were they op- were they openly accepting it because they were grieving too?
2: They certainly were. It really probably wasn't fair on them because I disappeared um, to Australia. They are wonderful, my family. They just always say, as long as you're happy, so... That's all they wanted from me. They didn't want me to go to Australia because they wanted me here. But then it's opened up their world. My mum and dad have been to Australia now and visited Noel Noel and I where we've sailed to different countries. So they've got something back from it. But it's just supportive beyond belief, my entire family. Just wonderful.
1: Well, that's good. That, That really probably helped you and gave you a lot of support through it. Sure. Excellent. So... You decided to sail. Tell us how that all came about.
2: Well, I didn't know the front end from the back end of a boat. (laughs) And Noel had done a fair bit of sailing, and and I had this thing, I want to just be free, and he said that's the closest I've gotten to freedom is being on a boat. So we mulled that over, and we actually settled down into jobs together. I was very still a little bit focused on career and Well, not really career, but earning money, so we were financially sound. And then I just – I was at a temporary job in an office, and they were trying to get me full-time and doing new things. And I just looked around, and I was sitting in a grey room in front of a computer, and I thought, I could be anywhere in the world right now. (laughs) And this is not what I signed up for. I ran away, and after Martin, I went, I have a duty – Ring everything out of my life I'm lucky enough to still be here what am I doing and I I just rang Noel and said I've just resigned can we go and buy a boat and he was a bit startled because I knew nothing about boats and that's what we did he had a motorbike we jumped on that and cruised up and down the east coast of Australia and searched for a boat and I had no idea what I was doing and and Noel had to teach me everything I, I was just absolutely ignorant with the whole thing
1: There is a lot to learn. That you know. uh, Were you scared? Um,
2: I tell you what did scare me. Not the sailing or being away from land. It was being out of my comfort zone. I was on a boat, and there was this world of gypsies, if you like, living this way that I had no idea existed. But I was still caught up in my lists and project plans and. (laughs) budget plans I mean, it was a bit weird being on a boat doing that and I felt I'd come from a, a good job where I was in control and knew what I was doing to I hadn't I didn't know anything and it was like a different language you know uh, mm. spinnakers and lines and sheets and what are you talking about and so I, I actually withdrew a little bit I became a bit shy and daunted in, instead of reading books and learning I, I, I withdrew a bit but now I was was just wonderful he just took me out and didn't judge me you know he let me learn and, and play and just didn't pressurize me or tell me off and I just grew into it and thought what have I been doing this is wonderful
1: so what why did you decide to do a world uh, cruise like that was that just a spot Spontaneous thing one day you said, let's sail around the world, or was it something that you planned out or looked forward to? Or like that doesn't happen every day of the week,
2: right? No, (laughs) no. We had two years on the boat getting used to her and, and teaching me and then we met people that had sailed around the world. And to be honest, we met people vastly older than us and older than us and not as fit and they talked about sailing around the world and sailing the east coast of australia is very tricky a big mass of land affects the weather and it's a difficult coast to sail and we thought how do people do this so we left with the idea of we'd take it one leg at a time we didn't sort of say we're going around that world it it sounded too Mm, big and frightening it was in the back of our minds, and certainly England, but we um, just took it at a port at a time. And then then you sort of get in the trade winds, you meet other people doing it, and there's information swapping, and you're away from that big landmass. And it just became easier and easier, believe it or not. And we just took our time, and over nine years, a nine-year odyssey, we, we completed it.
1: Did you have any scary experiences?
2: yes. Um, few, really, when you think about it. We had a, a massive storm our first time leaving Australia. We were actually had to turn back, which confused customs and immigration beyond belief. <laughs> <laughs> but we ended in a, a, a massive storm. Uh, and a boat that went out a few days before us actually sunk um, in this storm.
1: Really? Yeah, it was and nasty. And you didn't change your mind even then?
2: Um, a little bit, perhaps. We okay. had to go back to Sydney, and we, we stayed there for six months to regroup and, and figure it out. We, Yeah, we we'd thought about it, but then we met more people and thought, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And, you know, it was, it was bad luck, really, that these lows that come across um, the Tasman Sea, they apparently they'd blown out that season, and, but another one turned up and caught us and then once we were away from australia it, it did as i say get easier uh, sometimes throughout the journey we had other rough weather but really nothing as bad as that that was you know a good few days of violent weather and terrible seasickness very very uh, uncomfortable
1: <laughs> did you see much wildlife that was unusual or of any kind or
2: yes we saw so many dolphins come and play on the bow <laughs> And you never, ever get tired of it. And the phosphorescence at night, you know, that lovely Mm -hmm. glittery, um, luminescent green. And they're like torpedoes next to the boat in the wake or on the bow. Just, just beautiful. Uh, We saw many whales. We sort of, we had a scary moment with a whale. Um, we, We hit a whale, sadly, not intentionally. We were sailing down towards the canary islands and it was on dusk and there was just this we were sailing about five knots and we just suddenly bang and the boat stopped and we looked over the side and there was this well we can only imagine it was blood bubbling up it was like brown oh dear yeah it was horrible and this big then this big tail came up of this whale, and obviously it was either injured or old or asleep and we t-boned it our first thoughts was us and are we sinking? So we checked the bilge and sort of looked at the grab bag, oh, you know, do we need that? But the boat was fine. And then we just felt awful, you know. Of course. Probably mortally hurt this creature. and We'd actually heard hor- horror stories of this happening to other boat and the whale hitting back. Yes, attacking yes, back. So that was a fear. And we just pulled in our trolling lines for fish and sort of said, well, we'll try and not hurt anything else if, you know, Neptune, you just keep looking after us. Um, and that was that was a sad moment, but it sort of stayed with us. But we've had other fun encounters with whales that have come and sat under the boat when it really mm, the baby whale that just <coughs> sat with us for a while. That was lovely. And the wildlife in Galapagos, for example, these wonderful places—we've been so lucky to go to. So it's it's been remarkable. when we both think of it now, it's it's hard to believe we we've done it ourselves, really.
1: Now, did you stop often, like at ports, to regroup, eat, get you know, get supplies? What
2: was... Sure. Realistically, you're on the ocean, not as much as you are on land. You're going from port to port. Most of the time, we're on anchor because marinas are an expense. And then when you get to shore, it's all about filling up with water, replenishing your galley, uh, fuel as a backup, and and repairs very often too. Oh, of course. Mm, It's going to be very tough. And a rest because there's two of you on board. One of you has to be awake all the time. Uh, So we work in shifts when on the ocean. And then, hopefully, you get a bit of time for a bit of sightseeing and having a look, and um, just did,
1: did you work at all when you were um, like in port or
2: I actually wrote for sailing magazines, which was great because my material was my life, and take photos and wrote about destinations. And as I grew into the cruising world, we could write about you know how to live on board, <laughs> improvements you could make. So that was that was great when I started doing that and you know spent several years just writing about what we were doing. So that that was our income. We we did stop when we had went to when we sorry excuse me when we arrived at England. We worked for a year and a half, replenishing the coffers. Mm-hmm. And we actually we had some friends who had apartments in Puerto Rico, so we stopped there for a few months and renovated those. So that was kind of fun living in a different society and. Experiencing that type of thing.
1: So you're living the dream. Mm. You're living the dream of many people who would who would say, you know, I would love to sail around the world. And you did it.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I know. And I get, it's interesting because sometimes people say you're so lucky. And, and yes, I am lucky. We're, we're lucky. We're lucky to have our health perhaps the opportunity, but we made it happen. It, it didn't fall in our lap. Right. We work, yeah, we work incredibly hard. It's not G&Ts off the aft deck. You have to – We we live on a tremendously tight budget. We do everything ourselves. If we don't know how to fix something, we have to learn for two reasons. We can't afford the professionals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all the time. And if you're out in the ocean, you've got to figure it out yourselves. So you, you have to, it, it, it is work, and there's an element of luck with your health and opportunity, but you work hard to get there and maintain it. There's no doubt about that.
1: That's what I was thinking as you were talking, that luck really has very little to do with it. It's, mm-hmm. it, it was hard, tenacious labor yeah. to, to appreciate and do what you want it to do. It's not just something that fell on your lap. And you uh, What about piracy?
2: Mm. Any fear
1: there or any encounters?
2: Definitely fear. Fortunately, we didn't have an encounter from, let me see, from Oman round to Eritrea at the beginning of the Red Sea. Uh, that was our uh, worry area. And, you know, there's trade winds. So you're sailing with a lot of other boats not literally you don't see them but there's mm-hmm. a lot of boats going a similar time and we met quite a few boats well the people by them boats in in oman and mm-hmm. we decided to go in groups and there was a a few well, a week or so before we were traversing that stretch of water there was a pirate attack sadly on a, on a catamaran um They took a lot of personal stuff. They had a knife to the wife's throat while they got the man to get all the money out and whatever they wanted. And that shook us all up because we were traversing those waters. So those nine days from Oman to Eritrea were quite frightening. If you saw another boat, you were wondering who it was. But we we sort of went in convoy for most of the time. So you were in groups of five trying to stay together and that was a bit reassuring but it it certainly was on our minds and a worry and i wouldn't really like to do that stretch again
1: but it didn't deter you
2: no no we were determined to do it well actually it was funny in thailand it was we decided we were going that route and i remember ringing my dad and you know i'm 30 something at this point and Said, Dad, we're going to go to the Red Sea, and he said, No, you're not. <laughs> As if I was ten, you know, it's like mm-hmm. just worried for me, of course. But it was a amazing experience to do it. T- tough sailing, um, and we were lucky. I think we did it at a good time. I think it's only gotten worse now. Mm. And yeah, I. Once is enough, though. (laughs) I was
1: going to say, do you plan on doing this again? Like, is this something that you would like to do another time or?
2: Yeah, sailboats are still in the back of our mind. We're, We're actually living on a Dutch barge in, well, we've just done France and we're in Belgium at the moment. I mean, I'm in England right this minute, but that's where our home is in Belgium. And it is a bit different, it's it's fun, but sailboats have a different freedom. And we've traversed the Pacific twice, so on our first boat going around the world we went across the Pacific and then our second time on our sorry, on our second boat, which we purchased in America, we sailed the Pacific again on a more southerly route to Easter Island and Pitcairn. And the Pacific Ocean is just the most Wonderful place. They're just <laughs> Oh, they're just such happy people, content, beautiful islanders. Oh, it's it's an incredible, incredible part of the world. So, possibility that that may be on the list at some now, point. Now, did you,
1: when you wrote your memoir, um, mm-hmm. did you cite, a, like was it wasn't more like a diary? Did you cite a lot of these experiences or was it just like a general um memoir
2: um sort of a bit of both it's certainly every place we stopped and what we experienced there um I tried not to be too technical I've got a nautical glossary in the back to to help with Mm -hmm. technical terms but I tried to avoid that because it was a story but it wasn't only the journey of where we went and what we saw it was how I grew the 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 tagline if you like Mm. is from corporate girl to sea gypsy woman and i was a young 26 year old who hadn't traveled and then i changed so much my opinion of the world and and what was out there and what people should be doing so it's also about me growing and how i dealt with the passing of martin and how i grew into a woman who finally knew who she was and what she wanted and and so i've sort of weave that through as well
1: so no regrets
2: no regrets and that's a big part of my life now to think about what I do and and have no regrets and you know it was an awful time and so unfair but it just changed my life and Mm -hmm. I've been so incredibly lucky to to get to where I am even though we were saying luck wasn't a part of it but I'm I'm lucky to have my health absolutely
1: absolutely. Okay, switching gears from sailing to saving horses. Oh, yes. My word. So, tell us what happened, the transition there, and why horses, and whatever you want to share.
2: Well, I grew up with horses. My wonderful parents gave me the opportunity to ride when I was a, a girl, and I just adore them. There's no other way to say it. I just adore horses, and... When I went to Australia, I didn't have horses. We did the travel. Horses were always in the back of my mind, and, and Noel had grown up with horses, not to the extent I had, um, but he'd sort of dabbled in them or his brothers had had them. And we were, we'd done a second sailboat, and we were teaching back at a college in Australia, teaching maritime, and Noel heard about the Bicentennial National Trail in Australia. And that runs um, on the east, along the East Coast on the Great Divide, north to south, over 5,000 kilometers. And it's for horse riders, um, bicycle riders, and walkers. Vehicles uh-huh. can't go on it. And the second time he mentioned it, I knew he was thinking about doing it seriously. And, of course, the minute he said, horses i hmm. I, was, I was there and i hadn't done anything like this we'd had horses in stables and i'd done pony club and show jumping and a bit of this and that and this was so different and quite daunting i was i hadn't ridden for 20 years and I hadn't ridden ridden for 30 odd years hmm. but we just thought, well, it's there. Why don't we do it? So we, we did. We sold our house. We had great friends in Australia that had plenty of land, and they said you can train here, and that was just like being in the bush. Yeah. And we went to a pack saddle workshop, and I realised I know nothing about this, just nothing. <laughs> it was quite daunting. I thought, well, don't do what I do before. Start researching, and we've heard about the Standard Pleasure Performance Horse Association where the ex-trotters, through injury or lack of winnings, are retired. Okay. And they need rehoming. And we hooked up with these people and told them what we were doing, and they were fantastic. And suddenly we had five horses in the garden. (laughs) And I was just the happiest girl alive.
1: (laughs) Were they all older
2: or... No, they were all quite young. The oldest was nine and then eight, seven, and a five really? four year old. Absolutely. They're they're really punched out around the track and I don't know a lot about that type of thing, but I know it's hard on them and, and their legs can get injuries quickly. They're enough to be ridden and hacked, but not race anymore. Right. So right. They were perfect for us. And they they were a different bunch. They were all a little bit lost, a bit confused, been pushed from pillar to post, some of them. Others had not been shown any kindness. Others had obviously, yes, one little Neddy, he'd obviously been in some very unkind hands at one point. He came to us absolutely rigid with fear. But once he learned to trust us, once they all learned to trust us, oh my goodness, these horses, we were just... One unit, the seven of us, five horses, Noel and I, they just were remarkable. They just figured out we were in this together, in the bush alone. We had to work together and they overcame so many fears and, oh, my heart burst with pride. It was oh, just such no a wonderful kidding. experience. Yes. And the it,
1: trust they must have learned mm, would be yes. remarkable.
2: Yes. It took, a, it took many months. Mm-hmm. Even. Most of them had gone from their paddock to the racing ground, back to the paddocks. So they hadn't seen kangaroos, of which we met many in the bush. So <laughs> they terri- you know, Australian horses, terrified of kangaroos. Oh, it's it right. And, you know, a creek. We went through lots of rivers and creeks, and the first one while we were training was about six inches deep, and it took us five hours to convince them they could actually go through it. So things like that, they, they really had to toughen up, and we, my goodness, we did too. And together we learnt. Um, I still believe we went out very naively and made a lot of mistakes. And the (laughs) book talks about those mistakes. I felt very responsible. And really, it's a book about how not to do it. I wouldn't follow what we did. But (laughs) we. (laughs)
1: The guide of how not
2: to. (laughs) It's it's like that. But we sort of failed and we succeeded. We failed because we did we didn't do as much as we wanted. I had some injuries that I. And there was bushfires threatening us. There was a, a whole bunch of reasons why and, and other things. But when I looked at how the horses turned out, they they came from being a bit ribby and skinny and frightened to these, what well, I call them, my war horses. They were head up, strong, powerful. Wow. They were leaders. And the change, oh, and, and living with horses 24-7, was so much different from just day to day, a few hours day to day. it was it was such a bonding it, it, it was quite remarkable.
1: How long did that happen? like how many years, months?
2: Well we sort of bush riding for nine months but but probably six of that was within this property but that was 600 acres and that was real bush and very hard trekking. But we had the comfort of while we were training to have somewhere to run to if we needed to, mm. and then three months on our own in the bush um, with no help. So we had everything we needed. So we wanted to do it longer, but there was there was some pretty bizarre injuries I I got. It was a bit. Well, it wasn't upsetting, it was sort of amusing. I said to Noel, well, I've ridden a lot more than you and, and you're bound to fall off more than me and you're not, you're not a rider until you've fallen off at least eight times, you know, <laughs> being smart. And I don't think he ever fell off. It was Muggins here who had all sorts of weird and wonderful accidents and, and became very battered mm-hmm. um, through errors and, and through silly things happening. And then we were threatened with bushfires and we were trying to find somewhere to retreat for a few months and, and that's what we did. We went back to this uh, friend's place to, to regroup, and, and then sadly my dad became a bit ill, and we felt um, it was time to be in the UK, and that, that was very hard. Those boys were my family, and of I course. I think I grieved them for about, about a year, but they, they they don't miss me one bit. They're just having the life of Riley with friends. And, are um, you
1: kidding? Did they all stay together?
2: Uh, sadly, we had to split them in two, but two are together and they were good mates and the other three were good mates and they were together and they're only about an hour apart actually they're not far away so they mostly stay together i would have preferred preferred to have them totally but they're just treated royally spoilt having fun and uh, i get i get regular updates that so keeps me happy
1: have you seen them
2: well we've been in england just over a year so not not then not not during that time uh, i see photos and they they're, they're mm-hmm. just gleaming but I, I yes, I did see them when um they settled into their new homes. And that was hard. I was really yeah, so saying goodbye to my yeah, family. I was just saying mm-hmm. they're your
1: family, absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And especially when you when you have nursed them mm. and um, you know, rescued them. I mean that that's just you touched me. Oh, <laughs> I'm thank a dog you. rescuer and I, I I'm just visualizing as you're talking what what you watched happen what you watched transpire from you know being so hurt and abused mostly through neglect yes. and overwork
2: yeah. and
1: and then see them become vibrant and loving you and appreciating you and trusting you yeah. that must have been a phenomenal transformation that's it, that's great anything it, else you want to share about that or
2: oh well just that um i i guess with the book i i donate 50 percent of um, profits to horse charities i'm working with some quite large charities in the uk and australia and and it turns out i could i donate more i i can come up with some number crunching where they can do some great fundraising and actually earn 100 percent on each book sale without selling it for a silly amount and i'm i'm going to events last sunday i was with a a charity doing a reading, and this weekend I'm at the Horse of the Year show with Red Wings Horse Sanctuary on their stand, sort of promoting the book and hopefully getting people to to buy it, and, and they raise a lot of money that way, so I'm so lucky to have that opportunity. Yes,
1: most definitely. Mm. Tell us about the books now, both of
2: them. Yes, well, well, I'll start with the horse book, because that's what we've just been talking mm-hmm. about. Um, a standard journey, five horses, two people, and one tent. And the name is because trotters, um, there was a breed called standard breeds in Australia that were bred specifically for trotting. And we had a journey, so a standard journey um, seemed to make sense to me a uh, story and that's on Amazon as an ebook or a paperback and it's actually got color pictures in it and I'm extremely proud of it as most authors are their books yeah, that's wonderful <laughs> the colored pictures is
1: a good is a good plug that's right
2: yeah I sort of want people to visualize and I also on my website which is just jackieparry.com I have the full photo album there um, easy to follow the links. And on Noel and Jackie's Journeys, another website, I, I, all the photos for both books, for the, the Sailing One and the Horse One. The Sailing One is Of Foreign Build, From Corporate Girl to Sea Gypsy Woman. Um, that's got the pictures in again. And okay. that, that's obviously an ebook and paperback, but I was lucky enough this year to be picked up by a publisher who publish all the great um, nautical writers and he produced a audio version of the book. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that came out in August. So I was incredibly proud to be up with some great sailing names alongside them. So that's got the three versions. And, in fact, I did do, before these, I did do a, a reference book, if you like, on sailing called Cruisers AA. And that's just it has 1, over one thousand eight hundred tips on how to live on board and that covers everything from Oh
1: my word, that would be yeah, that would be a whole other conversation, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, that's <laughs> just a quick plug if you like. But it's yes, it covers everything. So I that I sort of started with the hardest book you could possibly think of and broke my teeth on that and um <laughs> but yeah, so just on Amazon they are available. And you can and, get lots of details on my websites.
1: And your charity is is just the one? Uh, did I miss that? Or
2: um, The UK one I'm heavily working with is Red Wings Horse Sanctuary. Um, I'm also in discussions with the British Horse Society in the UK. And of course, I'm supporting the Standard Pleasure Performance Horse Association in Australia. Other other charities I'm talking with at the moment, and hopefully they'll pick up and come on board as well. There's certainly plenty to go around, so I'm slowly working on that. It's a relatively new idea, and I, I am starting to talk to um, sailing charities. There's a few charities that help people that are suffering with cancer, and you need a bit of respite and yeah. a bit of fun, they take them sailing, and people with disabilities, who wouldn't normally be able to do it easily, and I thought, well, maybe I could do something there as well, so I'm, I'm starting to investigate that also.
1: Because you don't have enough to do, right?
2: I know, <laughs> I know, I keep having ideas, every time I say to Noel now, I've had an idea, he just sticks his fingers <laughs> in his ears and hums really loudly. <laughs>
1: Now, are you an activist at all to, you know, to help prevent some of the cruelty that you have seen and experienced? I do you have can't any kind of I am. okay? So there's not I'm, a platform that that you have, you know, been able to do this from or.
2: I, I, a platform is in a website, uh, okay, Helping Hands okay. for Horses, uh, Weebly.com, and that's just very new. I, I really, really struggle with it being with knowing too much I get incredibly devastated I'm an incredibly emotional person and I I just fall apart when I hear the cruelty that goes on in this world I I get so devastated and and emotional I I do have to distance myself a little I have to be a bit careful otherwise it just consumes me so at the moment I mean I, I, I sign what I can if there's petitions and I just try and help the people that are doing this great work I just try and help fund that and, and at the moment that's I wish I could say I did more but that that's all I do at the minute
1: I totally completely mm-hmm. understand because I can't even look at the pictures when yes. you see the abuse it's like I literally, I, I have to either, you know, switch the TV channel yes. or or if it's on the website and someone's asking you to, re, you know, help rescue and and mm. uh, send money, whatever, you know, to help this cause. And it's, I can't look at it. I can't yes. read it. And, You'd be the
2: same with the great work you oh, do. It's I just so can't, powerful.
1: I just can't imagine mm. cruelty to these innocent creatures. Yeah. It's just... I know we could. That's a whole other subject, isn't it? Isn't it?
2: <laughs> but, and they give you so much. They they just give you so yes. much. Mm. Yes.
1: Yes. That's absolutely right. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see if there's anything else that we. Oh, what's up for your future?
2: Wow.
1: What's the new ideas coming up?
2: Yes, (laughs) I am on the final draft of the story of us buying the second boat in America and sailing back to Australia over two years and sailing into Pitcairn and Easter Island and that remarkable journey, which was so much harder than the first one, even though you'd think it was easier. And importing a boat into australia so i've i've had the first draft almost nailed so that's a big project for me in the coming months i would like to try a novel um that scares me a bit with memoirs i know where the story is going and i I don't know how well i'm going to be able to plan i've got lots of events to do writing is a big part of my life I, i get as you'd know you're an author it's terrifically hard not just the writing the the promoting and, and trying to get your books noticed so it's hard work but i just can't seem to stop so i have lots of ideas and in our sailing trip we did the great loop in america the um, inland waterways up to new york the great lakes in canada the mississippi the ohio we did a year there and I'd like to just expand on that. And I think I've got to hurry up because the memory's fading. So that <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm so young. Um, that may be another project. So we'll we'll see.
1: Do you plan on going back to the water at all?
2: Yeah. Well, as I say, we're living on canals now, but oceans. It certainly is talked about. It's it's it it is hard. When you buy a boat, you think it's ready for oceans, but it's never ready for what you think you need. Really? They're terrific, hard work to get them so you feel safe going out in the ocean. Everyone's got their own ideas. And being a professional mariner now, our standards, I like to think, are quite high. So... It's discussed. We'll just say that for now. We okay. don't know. <laughs>
1: now, when, when you say that you are a teacher, um, hmm. who do you teach?
2: Well, this was in Australia. We, okay. When we finished our circumnavigation on Mariah, our first boat, we actually went to the government college and achieved what they call Master 5, which is a, a commercial skipper ticket up to 24 metres, boat length. And we did remarkably well. It's, we both did well. We'd had all the experience. And I came joint top in the class. I was the only girl in the class and got on fabulously with our tutor and he said, would you like to have a go at teaching this? Yeah. And that was a remarkable challenge because it's still very much a man's world. Mm-hmm. And teaching a, a room full of blokes that have been on their water all their <laughs> life, the commercial aspect by a little brunette was, yes, I learned a lot. <laughs> My goodness.
1: Well, it seems to me that you're the type of person that enjoys living outside your comfort zone. I think Absolutely. your comfort zone is is your uncomfort zone. That's where you're yes. the most comfortable.
2: <laughs> That's very well put. I was
1: pushing, you know, you're just going to keep pushing, pushing, and you're still young. I mean, my goodness, we'll interview you 10 years from now on (laughs) a
2: whole other adventure. That will be fun. It's a date.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. Well, this has been great. Um, I really appreciated your story. I sincerely appreciated your passion, Um, your story. Everything that you shared, I mean, it's not just for people who may be interested in sailing, even mm-hmm. though you do have a handbook to help with that. Yeah. But just the different things that you learned in life, the things that you learned out of grief mm-hmm. and survival techniques, not just literal survival in the water, but just surviving the emotions, you know, that hit you. Uh,
2: Absolutely.
1: So un believable and unexpected yeah so it has been wonderful. You're very warm, and I can, I can appreciate your caring. I can only imagine what you must have been like as a horse mummy. Yes, <laughs> I like that. You know, just you sound like I could just picture you embracing these huge, gorgeous creatures and letting them know how much you trust and love them and it being reciprocal. I mean, that must have just mm. been a thrill of a lifetime right there.
2: Yeah, It was fabulous. And and thank you for your kind words. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, just a sheer delight. And I feel we're a a bit of kindred spirits with our writing and our our passion of animals and certainly survival. so yeah it's been a lot of fun thank you it has
1: thank you and now when your web page is ready it will be aired with all your contact information your website connections your your amazon uh connections everything so people can uh have a look and listen as as well and i know that right. you'll be getting a lot of feedback and i definitely will pre- promoting you to the best of my ability
2: so thank
1: you so much jackie and i really appreciate what you shared today
2: thank you
0: thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one, so please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of 5 stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.